The scripture today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given things, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. I'm preaching on a, on a difficult passage today. We're talking about union with Christ. And the last two messages are specifically about how, you, how we are not united to Jesus Christ, just me and Jesus. It is not individually you and Jesus united, and that's all there is. Union with Christ is a we reality. You're united to Jesus Christ as a member of the body of Christ the church. Jesus is so united to all his believers, the Bible describes as he's a head, and there's a body, and you guys all know there's no such thing as a head without a body. They, you know, you all go together. That's what union looks like, according to the Bible. There's a head, Jesus, united to the body, and we are that body, the church. And today, I'm going to talk about we're going to go to the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper. It seems only appropriate that we would have a message on the Lord's Supper. And um, I don't know if you caught that portion that was read. Um, there's a scary portion. Did you guys catch that part? That if you eat, if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. We're going to talk about that today. And it's very, very important because it's related to the question of how do you see your reality as in union with Jesus? If you're united to Jesus, you're absolutely united to the church. To be in union with Christ is to be in union with your brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, the church. And when we come before the Lord to receive his body and to receive his blood, 
bread and the wine, which signifies union with Christ, we are talking about so how you think about the church. Absolutely. Now, this passage in the middle, where it talks about the theology of the Lord's Supper, it's a very, very famous passage. But most people have not seen the context in which it is given. There is a, there's, a, there's a context, there's an issue going on inside the church. And I'll explain a little bit about it when we get there. But, and there's a very, very important application. So there's, an issue, so there's an issue, then he gives you the theology, and then he gives you the closing of the issue. It's sandwiched a very important issue of how you treat your brothers and sisters and think about church. That's what we're talking about today. In this message, I've entitled, The Lord's Supper and Not Despising the Church of God. Okay? So, just a warning. It's a scary, it's a scary text, but let's wrestle with it. You know, we're, we, we are an unholy people. And we come before a holy and brilliantly beautiful and utterly pure God. But there's always mercy and grace and a pathway to be embraced by him because of the gospel, yes? So it's, we can be appropriately fearful, but let's also come run to him through Jesus by faith in the gospel, okay? Part one, social divides and despising God's church. Social divides and despising God's church. That's part one. Part two, Part two, eating and drinking grace, not judgment. I hope our church will always be eating and drinking. We do this once a month. It'll always come forward, let's eat and drink grace, not judgment, okay? Part three, Christ uniting himself to the poor. Who is that? Christ unites himself to the poor, that's a very live issue, and you must think about that when we're coming forward to receive this, okay? Um, let's get into this, part one. So let me just read this beginning portion. So he says, I do not commend you when you come together. It is not for the better, but for the worse. There's something bad about the way the Corinthian church, when they get together in the, as a church, he says there's something really bad about how you do it. I'll just jump ahead a little bit. Um, verse 19, for there must be factions among you in order that there are some, there's like, in other words, some kind of legitimate reason sometimes we divide and we can, we can make a distinction. But he says this, verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Let me say it again. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. I mean, what is he saying here? He's saying there's sometimes people take the Lord's Supper and he says that they do it so badly, they do it in such a wrong way, it's basically not the Lord's Supper. That's what he's saying. So what he's raising up here in this message to the Corinthian church, it's heavy. It is a very, very serious accusation. And I want us as a church to recognize that they're, these are they're very big stakes when we come up here. And are we really doing the Lord's Supper? Or are we not? Right? Now why? Why does he make this point? He goes on. Verse 21. For in eating, 
Each one goes ahead without, with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Another goes hungry and another gets drunk. So scholars have looked at this passage because we all know that the Lord's Supper is mostly, you know, a cup and bread. It's not a, like a full like meal where, you, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a meal. So most people are recognizing that when churches got together, guess what? They eat meals together. <laughs> so the, what is happening here in the Corinthian church? What people seem to realize is there was a meal there's a fellowship meal where they all gather together. And then there's a worship service where they do the Lord's Supper. Okay? That doesn't seem strange at all. Guess what? A lot of churches do that. Uh, it's typically they have the service. Then we do the Lord's Supper. And then there's the meal. Our church doesn't have a meal every single week. But there are churches that do have a meal every single week. Do you know that? Every week. <laughs> Our church has a meal together once every now and then. Um, but there are churches that have a meal every single week. And especially um, in countries where the Christians are not very numerous and are very, very embattled, it's pretty common. It's very, very common. Let's get together. We're a family. Let's get around the family table. Let's eat a meal together. Then let's praise. Then let's receive God's word. And then let's go to the Lord's Supper. It's very common. There may be 20 people there. There may be 10 people there. There may be 50 people there. All right? There are churches, <laughs> there are mega churches in Korea that have like 10,000 people and they always have a meal every single Sunday. <laughs> it's kind of wild, okay? There are churches in our city, they have a meal together every single Sunday. So that's what's going on. You get it? But there's a problem. The people who are richer, they show up and they eat lavish meals. The people who are poor, they don't get anything. <laughs> that's what's going on. That's what's going on. And here's what he says. Verse 22. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? I won't. Let me just say that again. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? You shame, you humiliate those who don't have anything. I want to talk about this. Um, it's very interesting because he's saying, if you want to eat together, and you want to have a big meal, you want to have fancy wine, you want to have lots of meat, you can eat at home. Just eat at home, it's fine. But when we gather together as God's church, if you have more, you should never let those who have less feel shamed. <laughs> no way. That's not how it should be. And if that is how you behave as a church, when you come here to this, we have a very, very serious problem. That's what he's saying. Why? Because you don't even get what church is. You are despising God's church. It's very, very strong language. You are despising God's church because you humiliate and shame those who have little. I want to say something about this. Um, most Americans go, well, I don't do that. We don't do that in our church. You know why we don't do that in our church? Because the American way of doing church is that 
Rich people go to church with rich people and poor people go to church with poor people. That's how we do it. <laughs> That's how we do it. Because guess what? We found out that when rich people go to church with poor people, they don't very mix very well together. And poor people regularly feel pretty bad and sometimes resentful to the rich or the rich lord it over the poor. That's what we found out. So in America, we'll just say, let's just market segment this. And of course, you guys know it's not just rich and poor. It's black and white. It's Chinese church over there and Vietnamese church over here and Mexican church over here. But you know what? In America, let me tell you, the race and ethnicity is actually not the deeper divide in church. It's class. <laughs> it is. It's class. You know how? Because we have this thing called, we have white churches over here and we have white churches over here. Why do these white people not want to be with these white people? Let me tell you something. They say, well, it's our theology. <laughs> it's our worship style. There's some of that. But let me tell you, it has often to do with this. There's a book that was written many years ago called The Social Sources of Denominationalism. The Social Sources of Denominationalism. It was written by a brilliant, big-time guy, Ivy League degree, named Richard Niebuhr. Richard Niebuhr. And when he says, if you actually, like, okay, there's all these, okay, here's how it works. There's Lutherans. You know who are Lutherans? Germans. Germans are Lutherans. Right? And then there are Episcopalians. You know Episcopalians? It's generally English people or Presbyterians. I mean, it's Episcopalians. And you know who are Presbyterians? They were Scottish. <laughs> you know why Presbyterians and Episcopalians don't get along? Because Scottish people and English people don't get along. <laughs> they put a different theology on top of it and say, you guys do church over there, we will do church over here. But then you know what he said? It's basically ethnically divided, but it's also class divided. Now, we're living in a time when like the denominations and stuff like that are all broken up. But American church is so like divided into all these little niches. That's how it's just so normal in America. We market segment everything in America. <laughs> everything. You know, like I... I wear jeans. Do you wear jeans? Of course you wear jeans. I bet you you don't wear my, my kind of jeans. You know what my kind of jeans are? They're the cheapest jeans you can find at Walmart. <laughs> okay? That's my jeans. I find the cheapest jeans. And I found out there is a version of Levi's sold at Walmart. That's mine. I bet you you don't buy those. Because they're the, they're the junkiest Levi's there is. <laughs> but it's Levi's. Okay? <laughs> and so... Even jeans are market segmented according to every layer of class. Every layer of class. We do this in church too. Um, there's an old joke. There's an old joke that goes something like this. Um, what, is, what is a Presbyterian? He's just a Methodist with a better stock portfolio. <laughs> That's what they said. What is an Episcopalian? He's just a Presbyterian with a better stock portfolio. And what is a Methodist? 
A Methodist is just a Baptist who can read. Okay, you didn't laugh. My, my Baptist friend told me that one. He loves that joke. <laughs> He's like, you know what a man, you know what a Methodist is? It's just a Baptist who can read. Because a long time ago, the Baptists were the poor brunt of evangelical Christianity. <laughs> That's not how it is today. <laughs> a lot of Baptists are very, very successful today. But you go back 100 years ago, that was not the case. And of course you know, guess what? There's Methodist Church, and then there's this thing called the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And you know what that is? They're Methodists. There's the white Methodists over there, and then there's the black Methodists over there, and they're different according to race and class. It's a big problem. But here it is in the Bible. You know what the Bible expects? Rich and poor are one body of Jesus Christ. One family of Jesus Christ. And they all eat from the same body and blood broken and shed for them. That's how it is. So I want to just start off right here. I've already said, you know, in our, in our values, you know, we're talking our vision and values. I talked about how so many churches, you know, like Paul was the apostle who preached just primarily to the Jews. I mean, Peter was the apostle who preached primarily to the Jews. Paul was one who went to the nations. Paul planted multi-ethnic churches. And I'll bet you, you go to a city like Corinth, he had rich Corinthians, he had middle-class Corinthians, and then he had poor Corinthians. And he planted this church. And guess what? I bet you there were different ethnicities too and different skin colors. And when they got together, they would go, okay, okay we don't want that guy sitting at our table because he's not one of us, right? And we're going to eat this great, cool meal here. And of course, you don't even like these foods because, you know, we eat this food. You eat your food. And then we'll have the worship service together. And Paul was livid. <laughs> he was livid. If we're going to be a Paul-type church, as Revive is going to be, I want to just signal this right away. We're united to Jesus Christ. That means different skin color people are going to belong to our church. Different socioeconomic classes of people are going to belong to our church. It, it will be. And we have to take this very, very seriously. If we're going to be united to Jesus, we have to look at our whole church, rich, poor, different skin color, and you're going to be uncomfortable. You will be uncomfortable. You will be uncomfortable. Okay, you're like, okay, well, I'm just bet. No, <laughs> no, okay? I grew up in poor neighborhoods. I've been around some really different poor skin Different skin color people are really, really poor. Dangerous neighborhoods. And I've been in really rich neighborhoods. And I think I'm better than most Americans at being around rich people and poor people. And you know what? I'm not good at it. When I look at most other Americans, they're terrible at it. Because you know why? It's not just Americans. Everybody is terrible at it. Everybody. Everybody is terrible at being around somebody who's in a different social class than them. 
the rich people feel really uncomfortable around the poor people. Because in their mind, they're like, I have all these good intentions for poor people. When they actually meet poor people, they don't like them. They're uncomfortable around them. And when poor people go, well, like, I kind of like to be around rich people, but then when they meet them, they don't like them. And sometimes when they don't like them, it's because they feel bad around them. Or they find out, oh, you look down on me, don't you? This is absolutely normal. Absolutely normal. But in the church, we're united to each other. We're united to Jesus. We must all drink of the Holy Spirit, right? And we have to think about this, especially before we go here, come to the table. Let's go to part two. Let's get at the scary part, okay? <laughs> Verse 27. You're supposed to examine yourself before you come up here. And usually I give some instruction every time we take this. Usually I link that instruction to whatever I've preached. Because, you know, you can't necessarily examine yourself in everything. We all can't examine ourselves in everything. So on some aspect of are we becoming sanctified more shaped to be more beautiful and holy like Jesus, we should examine ourselves at least in the, at least what I just preached. But today I want to preach on this. So, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And listen to verse 9. This is the part I want us to wrestle with today. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So when, when I was about, I think when I was 15, I was going to take the, the Lord's Supper for the first time. And so my Bible study teacher taught us this passage, you know, how to read this passage. I read this passage, and I, I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay? So if I go up, if I receive this the wrong way, I could be judged by God. And so then it said this, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, here is what my teacher taught me, and here's what I thought it meant. What is the body of Christ? It is the body of Christ and the meaning of the body of Christ is that he was broken for you so you could receive forgiveness. And you know what? Of course that's true. Of course that's true. So anybody who comes forward, and that isn't what you're coming forward for. At the very minimum, you are not discerning that the bread is the body of Jesus Christ, that Jesus himself had his body broken so that you and I could be forgiven and accepted, you're not discerning this, and you're coming up in an unworthy manner. I think that's, come on, how can you not understand that? But here's the part I didn't really get when I was 15 years old. And, I've, and I never thought about this when I was a teenager. Right? Whoever comes, you, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Which body? The context is not just the physical body of Jesus. The context is the body of the church. He's talking about a problem inside of the body of the church. And then he's saying, 
well, let's come up here and do this in a way that's worthy of the Lord. And so when you come up to receive the, the bread and the wine, let me ask you this question. This is an important question. Have you thought about the body of the church? Have you thought about the body of the church? How do you see and what is your attitude toward the other members of the church? To the other brothers and sisters of the church? And if you have a problem with someone inside the church, if you hate somebody inside the church, you know what? That is a really serious problem. You should think very, very serious before you come up here. Because if you're going to come up to receive the body and blood of Jesus, he has united himself to all the believers. And when you're united to Jesus Christ, you're absolutely united to the church. If you're absolutely united to the church, the Holy Spirit is calling you toward peace and forgiveness and embrace toward the others in the church. That's the point. Okay, here's the next part. Verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. <laughs> That's why some of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So when you come, you should examine your heart, especially toward your attitude toward the church, toward your brothers and sisters. And I want to especially think about this. Do you especially think about people you look down upon? And very often, there's a class component. There's, of course, a race component. But very often, there's a class component. You know what he's saying? If you look down on people you're poor, you're despising the church. When you come up here, you're asking for judgment. That's what this passage is saying. Okay, let me lighten up a little bit, okay? Um, I mean, it's not really lightening it up. Let me ask you this way. Some of you might think, this is really severe, Pastor. You literally, you literally said that from the Bible that you could die if you come up to, and receive this in an unworthy way. Isn't that what the passage is saying? That, that is exactly what the pastor is saying. <laughs> That's exactly what the pastor is saying. And if you think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mistake, it's not. Let me take you, um, there's a, Earlier place, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. So the book begins this way. There's all these factions and divisions. And there's people inside the church that hate each other. They hate each other because for various different things. Our theology is better than yours. I'm of Paul. You're Apollos. We, we dislike you. You know, it's just kind of Americans. Like, we like this politician. I'm of Trump. You're of Biden. I dislike you. <laughs> right? That's how we do it. That's the American version. So at the beginning of the book, he's, he's on them right away. And so the divisions are destroying the church. So these factions or divisions are destroying the church. And here's what he says. Verse, chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you, and I already went over this passage earlier, you, plural, are the te God's temple and the God's spirit dwells in you. You guys remember this? Do you not know that you, that is you plural, are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? Now here's verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. He just says that straight up. He's telling them, you guys are destroying God's temple. Don't you want to, do you want to die? You're asking for God to come down hard on you. You should be fearful. And then we get a little while later, later, letter, uh, later in the same letter, we call it a book, but it was just a long letter. Um, later in the letter, he basically says the same thing, except specifically because he's pretty mad about how they handle rich and poor meals and then corrupt the Lord's Supper. Right? Um, I want to ask you some questions. When I say you, of course, I'm asking this to me too. Right? Do, you like, do you dislike some people in the church? Of course, I'm asking you, do you dislike some people in Revive Church? So at the beginning, this is your church. You should think about, do you dislike some people in this church? But actually, let me ask you a question even more deeply. Do you dislike people in the church? It's a hard one. I dislike some people in the church. This church was planted out of a church that was destroyed Exactly like the Corinthian church. There were factions in the Corinthian church and they destroyed the church. And then it led to a break where we then were forced to plant a new church because that church was destroyed. And some of the people who are responsible for that, I, I try to forgive them, but I still have pretty hard feelings about it. <laughs> So I'm preparing myself for this message and I'm thinking about people I have hard feelings about in the church. I don't know any Christian in America that doesn't have hard feelings against some other Christians. We do. Sometimes it's just a general group of Christians. Sometimes it's a specific denomination. Sometimes it's a political faction. And sometimes it's personal. There are certain people you really dislike. And there's so many people who are Christians today, who, like, they, they ran away from some other church. And maybe it was needed. I can understand that. Because Christians, we mess up church all the time. We do. But there are so many people that are so bitter against God and against the church that they barely will go back to God. The stakes are really, really high. And here's something, so here's something I want to say. We're certainly, I'm going to challenge you today. Will you discern God's body when you examine yourself? Look at yourself carefully and examine God's body. If you will examine yourself, I bet you, you probably dislike somebody in the church. Like, like, like you hate them, basically. Okay? And enough that maybe you despise God's church. So let me offer you how we can come up here and take this in a clean way. Would you say, Lord, how do you dislike some people in the church? In fact, I hate some people in the church. But will you wash me? Will you help me not to hate? Help me to repent against this brother who screwed me over three years ago. Okay? There's those, those people inside that church, that click over there. I never talked to them. 
because, come on. But, Lord, today, today, okay, I am far from loving them. I am far from loving them. But today, could you help me to take one step, even just want to not hate them, not want to dislike them, because they're my church. They're your body. They're our family. I think we Christians, we all must be this way. And so if you repent on that next month, we do this again next month, and you still hate that person, repent again. Next month, you still hate that person. Repent again. And again. And again. And again. Until the Holy Spirit changes your heart so your socks can be soft and we can discern the body of Christ if we love the whole body of Christ. Well, this is a hard message. It's a heavy message. I want to say this. When I meet a lot of people today, a lot of young people today, you know why they don't go to church? Because a lot of them had a really, really bad experience inside a church. They did. Somebody hurt them. Somebody failed them. And you know what didn't happen? There was no repentance. There was no forgiveness. There was this. I don't like them. I'm out of here. Go to the church. Or just forget church. And that's it. And then what happens is all the churches get like divided up more and more and more. And then when the non-Christians look at the churches, they see what everybody sees. This is supposed to be a holy people of God redeemed by everyone. And it's supposed to be like loving, different skin color and different you know, uh, classes. And aren't they supposed to be humble and loving toward each other? But they're not. Doesn't seem very holy to me. Is this of God? I don't think it's of God. It just seems like any old junky thing. These people just made this stuff up. And I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor. There are many times I walk into a church. I go, you know, they basically preach the right stuff. You know how I often feel? I look around the room and I said, this is just, you know, it's like, not the richest, but it's upper middle class and you need to go to this school and everybody shops in certain kinds of places and they talk about the same kinds of things and they watch the same kind of TV shows. This is a Christian social club of this mix. And if I wasn't a Christian already, I'd be, I would go, come on, come on. Let me get a little raw here. I don't, the reason Revive Church has this very, very ambitious vision is because I badly want to believe the Bible. I do believe the Bible. But you know what? When everybody around me treats the Bible like it's nothing and the churches are this, it's hard to believe the Bible. <laughs> it's very hard to believe the Bible. And I'm the Christian. 
So when the kids don't believe the Bible because all the people treat each other like junk, not according to the Bible, then of course I understand why the kids don't believe in Jesus, why they despise the church. They actually justify because the Christians despise the church. <laughs> the Christians despise each other because we won't love each other more than in our own self-righteous human way. So I really actually dislike American market segmentation of church. I actually really dislike it. I actually hate it. It's not the Bible's vision of church. And I don't know. I don't want to get a little scary here now. In about 10 years from now, our church is established. If we grow to 1,000 people in this church, and we don't have any poor people in our church, and if the poor people come to our church and they feel like the rich people, they, they ignore me, you know what I'm going to feel like? I should fire myself. People will say, you have a thousand person church, Susan. And I will say, but when we do the Lord's Supper, are we really taking the Lord's Supper? That's the question I'm going to ask myself. The world says if you have a lot of people and your church is powerful, I mean, I mean popular, and you have a lot of money, you're a great church. But the Bible says if you're united to Jesus Christ, and we really eat of his body and drink of his blood, we will see each other differently. We will love each other differently. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I badly want to be a part of that church. So if the church is smaller, I don't mind. <laughs> if it's a 1 Corinthians 11 church. Okay. You need some good news. We cannot do this. We're all bad at this. Okay? So the only way we'll ever have a chance at really loving people that make us uncomfortable, and thus we could say, okay, that person over there makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, you know, a few weeks ago, I, came to, I drove in here. And there was a homeless woman sitting right in the door that we're going to, you know, next week we're going to go into the normal way and we're going to go indoors. There was a homeless woman sitting right there. And I came, you know, like an hour or so, like I did, and I, and I said, you know what? Let's invite her. And I'll be really honest with you. Immediately, I was uncomfortable. But I said, she's literally on our front doorstep. <laughs> How do you not invite her? to receive the gospel. So I went up to her, introduced myself. I said, we're just about to have church over there. Would you like to come? And an hour later, she was there. <laughs> She's sitting right there. I don't know if you do remember her. So none of these Asian folks came in. She was white. She was old. She was obviously very poor, and she was sitting right there, and I was honestly surprised. The Holy Spirit brought her in. I don't know, somewhere along the line, she left. Okay? 
think it was maybe probably like one or two songs in, she left. This is how poor people feel in Silicon Valley all the time. All the time. Not just about church. About everything. <laughs> That's how they feel. Uh, I took my daughter out to a daddy date lunch. We went to a, a, a pretty poor place. <laughs> and the food was not good. <laughs> okay? My daughter dumped on it. <laughs> and she was right. But I looked around. It was this buffet place. There was a lot of poor people there. Right? Let me tell you, a lot of the places where I normally eat, they don't go there. I'm not talking about church. I'm just talking about restaurant. You can go to that restaurant too. You probably won't because you can afford better food. But I want this church. Don't you want this church? God wants this church for the whole city. We're all bad at this. But the gospel will give us the power so we can discern those who are hurting and we can come up here gladly and say the body of Christ poor and rich all together okay let me close this way when you go around and meet people um, do you sometimes wonder about their net worth <laughs> do you wonder about their net worth in this city, the disparity of network is, net worth is absolutely astronomical. <laughs> okay? It's crazy, the difference. There are people in the city whose net worth can be counted in the billion. Billions. Okay? And then, of course, there's millions. There's hundreds of millions, tens of millions, and millions. There's people that you know, they don't look fancy. Their net worth is in the millions. You own your own house. You bought it 20 years ago. Your net worth is in the millions. Okay? And then there's people who are living paycheck to paycheck, and they think their net worth is nothing, but that's actually incorrect. They have like $3,000 in the bank, and their net worth is minus. It's negative, because they have about $50,000 of debt. 3000 in the bank. $50,000 in debt. I own a few, I own some houses. Uh, not a house. I, own, I got my clothes. I got my car. You throw that all together. My gosh, we're negative $25,000. There's a lot of people like that. A lot of people like that. When you get before Jesus, do you think he's going to care about your financial net worth? In the city, we always care about our financial net worth. If you have a negative debt, let me tell you, you hide that from everybody. You're ashamed. Hey, I've been there. When I was doing a PhD, how do you think we made it through? We went into debt. There was times I was looking at our net worth, I'm going like, oh my goodness, me and Grace, we have negative net worth. Okay, we barely make it by every single month. So I know what it feels like. It feels bad. And I don't tell anybody. Nobody tells anybody. So we go out into the world. We hide this thing. It feels bad. But Jesus, whether you have a net worth 
of billions or millions or nothing or negative. He is not going to look at your financial net worth because your financial net worth doesn't mean anything. It's zero. Everybody's zero and money to Jesus because he doesn't care about that part. <laughs> Except that unless maybe he'll be like, let's see if I can get you to use your money for something that I care about. <laughs> if Jesus cares about your money, that's probably the part he cares about. <laughs> and he's kind to you. He's like, okay, I know you need some money. I'll give you some money. But I care about a lot more than your money. He's going to look into our spiritual bank account. And whether you have a billion in money, you know we all, what we all have? We have a big, big, gigantic negative number, if it's a number. If it was a number, we come before Jesus, and it does not matter how much money you have, you have a gigantic negative Let me give you a, a really, one of my favorite Bible verses. And let me urge you to, to memorize this verse. If you live in Silicon Valley, you just memorize this verse. And think about it all the time. I can't help but think about it all the time when I walk around Silicon Valley. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Same church. Okay? Same church. In another letter, he says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. Christianity is a faith that seeks to make everyone rich in God through Jesus Christ forever, infinitely rich. You're rich by being united to Christ and having all his benefits, all of it. You know what you get? You get his forgiveness. You get his blood that washes away all your shame. You get his redemption. He conquers your sin because you look at these poor people and you don't like them. You look at the rich people, you make me feel bad, I don't like you. He conquers that. He gives you his name. He gives you victory over death and he gives you a family where everyone will be rich forever and ever and nobody will ever have to worry forever and ever if you are in debt or if you are less or if you're poorer than your family members. All that status stuff that we worry about all the time in the church, in the church, it'll be gone. In the kingdom of God, the church will gather together and it'll all be gone. So that's why when we come before here, we will practice it being gone. Can you believe that? He has made you infinitely rich. He has loved you by grace when you were desperately poor. You're still desperately poor. And you are nothing apart from Jesus. But in union with Christ, you are infinitely rich. Can you believe that? If so, then treat your family, the body of Christ, not with resenting, not with comparing, not superior nor insecure, with, with some kind of selfish, self-serving, or self-righteous standards. Instead, 
see your brothers in Christ, in union with Christ. Have hope in them. Have hope for them. Seek love for them. Have faith in them. Even though they don't seem like they deserve it. Why? Because Jesus first loved you. Jesus had hope for you. Jesus believed in you. You had no, no business where the Son of God would believe in you. So, look at your brothers and sisters and believe in them. Because Jesus believed in you. And if you have to repent every single month, it's okay. One day, he'll set your heart on fire. And you'll actually begin to love people you never thought you could love. Let me pray. And let's go to the table of the Lord. Lord, the hard message today. A heavy message today. But it's a hard word from your word, from your scriptures. We go to your table to receive the Lord's Supper. We want to have real sacrament. And we really want to proclaim your death until you come. And as we proclaim your death, we have your life. And we always have your life together. And so help us to rejoice in life together. Help us to love your church, even though we live in a very wicked and terrible time when we're breaking up your church. We're regularly destroying your church and making your church less than it's supposed to be. And we regularly have just swallowed the consumeristic, selfish entitlement of actually turning your church into social club. We actually get mad when our church is not the social club we want instead of the family that you want. But as we come to your table today, may we remember that first you have loved us. First you made yourself poor so that all of us who have infinite negative debt before you, you would make us rich. And so that when we look at some neighbor and we don't like him or her, from poverty or riches or however it may be, may we always be before you first. We're going to come to you right now. We're going to come to Jesus. We're coming to the body and blood of Jesus. May you, Lord, give yourself to us so that we can be your true body, your true temple, and be filled with your peace, be filled with your holiness. Be filled with your gentleness and love. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.